back, everyone, once again to a new installment of Screenplay Rewind. I'm Jeff. I'm Ron. And uh, I'm, I'm going to be honest, like, I feel really unprepared this week for the show. Like, we, we were starting our recording, and I was like, oh, shit, do we have questions? And Ron had looked like, no, we don't have any questions. Uh, <laughs> I was like, well, fuck, I, I hadn't even thought to do that. And usually I'm the person to remember to do that, so that's not a good sign. Yeah, but we usually remember as we're hitting start, and then both of us are scrambling to see if we can get to the email first. True. So true. there's that. The one thing I haven't been keeping with it, I need to make sure that we don't have like any um, ratings or reviews on like Apple or Spotify or anything. Last I saw, we still had one five star rating on Apple. Hell yeah. That was, We're uh, perfect. <laughs> one for one. <laughs> exactly. Well, I never feel too bad about not having reviews on stuff because if you actually just go poke around on like Apple or like any of these actual like super, super famous podcasts, they'll have like 500 bajillion subscribers and like 2000 reviews because people just right. don't bother to do it. So I never even really think twice about it. It's like helpful, but you know, yeah, the, it's, just the, one it's of how things. you get the algorithm to pick you up is ratings and reviews. But, you know, yeah, it's weird that they pick the most like abstract thing that nobody does as the main kind of yes yeah, like the way it spearheads its way through the algorithm i've never really understood that yeah i've never really got it either i feel like the only platform that actually does well with setting up its own algorithms is youtube because you'll notice like channels like they'll <laughs> pop up and they actually just kind of like take off because they are making like good content where you can be a small channel and if you have like a niche thing or something that's like you know actually just like solid content like It'll get picked up eventually, and then it just, like, does its work. Well, not only that, I don't know how many people know this, but a lot of people may not comment, they may not like, share, subscribe, but they do like that dislike button. And I don't know if how many people know this, but it's the same thing. Liking or disliking in YouTube is the exact same action. All they care about is the interaction. They don't care about really whether you liked it or not uh-uh so, so like if bad you news is good news yeah if you dislike a channel it's still going to get picked up by the algorithm because it's interaction i wonder if that dude that was calling us boring was like dislike or like <laughs> hell yeah raking <laughs> raking in the views actually to anyone checking us out over youtube because the last few youtube videos have been doing really well for us yeah and i don't have. know what started that but yeah if you're checking us out over youtube like welcome i think it was that guy and, uh, yeah i think it was that guy <laughs> i think it was that guy he got us plugged into the he was uh, not the, the hero we he was not the hero we needed but he was the hero we deserved <laughs> <laughs> yeah i don't know yeah, what happened over there but we're getting we're getting some hits on some things over there it's crazy it's yeah. doing better than the than the actual podcast and the podcast is on like i don't know 50 platforms <laughs> yeah so yeah it's well nuts. to be fair people people that are actually like human only use two or three of those 50 platforms <laughs> yes i know uh but um we did have a uh comment uh we didn't have any questions but we did have a comment that i was gonna uh throw in with the podcast uh so on one of our most recent episodes it could have been the most recent one i don't fucking know i've slept since it then. was it was on princess uh, bride okay uh we had a question presented by myself basically asking ron if there was one actor he'd like to see reprise a specific role uh, on the heels of michael keaton coming back as batman uh which actor he would like to see come back and i don't think you have an answer yet to this day maybe it never will uh in true ron fashion but uh our buddy bobby does uh, bobby jumped in the comments and said he would like to see thomas jane return as the punisher which uh 
I would I would watch that. Did you ever see he did like a YouTube video coming back as the Punisher? Do you remember that no. being a thing? Yeah, he, there was like a YouTube short uh, with Thomas Jane back as the Punisher. It wasn't like officially sanctioned. It wasn't where he's like ever, I think, called like the Punisher or Frank Castle or anything, but he is his character and it's just is one it, of those like, that's like unspoken. Is it like Kmart Punisher? Like he's wearing a Jolly Roger instead of the skull because they don't <laughs> want to get sued? Uh, maybe. I remember this being a thing. I haven't seen it in quite some time. I remember it being pretty cool just because, you know, Tom, Thomas Jane has apparently just like, you know, always looked back fondly on that character uh, and his performance of it uh, was good. I, I liked him as that character. So what did you think about seeing Thomas Jane as more? Oh, more dude, Punisher stuff? I, I always need more Thomas Jane in my life. And he was a fucking amazing Punisher. Yeah, he was really and good. And I love I that still... movie because my one of my favorite movie villains is John Travolta. So having Thomas Jane Punisher versus John Travolta mafioso, I mean, come on. Yeah, I, I mean, that movie, it probably has, like, some problematic things, just, you know, being a superhero movie from, like, 25 years ago, but I liked it. I thought it, I thought it was fine. Um, man. Uh, although, the movie I will always most place Thomas Jane, like, to be synonymous with is uh, Deep Blue Sea. Uh, I, I, I think, of Deep, say Deep, I Blue think of Deep Blue Sea when I think. I think because that, that was, like, the movie that put him on the map, right? Wasn't that the first so. movie that, like, really got him into... I feel like he's always been underrated even uh that did you ever watch his his show that was a big hit like the hung show did uh -huh. you ever watch that no i never I heard have that was damn good and he was damn good in it i just haven't ever checked it out yeah no thomas jane's great i i, I will yeah. always take more thomas jane than anything <laughs> yeah i i really like thomas jane um and i have a question for you this week ron uh, by the way we will eventually be talking about the three musketeers but forgive the uh, the <laughs> usual hour and a half preamble that you know ron and i start off the show with you have a question i probably do not have an answer yeah it will be ron uh trying to stall for time and never getting enough time to figure out the answer but that's okay it's okay <laughs> it's, it's just uh you know bobby might have an answer we can we can rely on bobby in the comments so there you go yeah he'll okay. leave a, he'll leave another cryptic comment that i have no idea what it means all right uh so we are covering the three musketeers from 1993 correct yes all right this is a novel adaptation from Alexander DeMoss. Yes. What is a book that you would like to see adapted into a movie that has not been adapted yet? Because you listen to more audiobooks than I do. So I feel like you might have something up your sleeve. What? Let's see. For a movie. Yeah. What would make a good movie? I, I know since they are series, it's usually easier to adapt them into series. But what is a book I would like to let me peruse Audible real quick in my yeah because you library. you listen you listen to audiobooks like basically constantly in the background while you're doing stuff around the house right yeah pretty much yeah because um, you listen to like what fifty from that one sci-fi series alone <laughs> <laughs> yeah I got that um. It's not as long, but The Messenger would probably be pretty good. But movie, I feel like it had to be more something like uh, not. Hold on. I'm, I'm making them a series of looking at series instead of just individual books. Probably something like uh, The Lock by Steve Alton would probably be better as a movie than a series. And uh, what is that one? So Steve Alton is the guy that wrote The Meg. 
Oh, okay. And yeah. he actually has several um, different running series that are all kind of take place in the same universe. So there's a character that comes into the Meg that is actually from the Locke series. Um, cool. It's like interconnected universe style thing. Yeah, it deals with um, like there's a secret ocean underneath the ocean floor that they find by accident. And there's like... Uh, like different dinosaurs and other types of things that shouldn't exist down there. There's there's, there's Megs down there. So is um, that like the origin of where the Meg, the original Meg came from? It's like the extra ocean floor thing. I think it's in a different part of the ocean. I think this one is kind of more uh, more north, but it. I think this is the Arctic Ocean, but it also deals with uh, extraterrestrials and a bit of time travel. So like when the guy shows okay. back up in the Meg, he has a laptop that has the location of like where the main guy Jonah and his son have been, but there's also pinpoints where they're on their way to and pinpoints past that. And all the timestamps are like future dated when Jonah finds it. Um, because That's interesting. in when Jonah and his son showed up to help him in one of his books, uh, Jonah's son died saving them and then this part in this book of the meg he comes into the meg and he's trying to alter time so that david lives and things like that gotcha. but he um he has his own his own series the lock it takes place in scotland and it deals with the loch ness monster and what the loch ness monster actually is and it goes all the way back to the crusades and the crusaders and like he's a descendant of the crusaders um, and there is a treasure buried down there protected by the monsters that people just know as Loch Ness monsters, but they actually are called Givers, if I remember. Um, yeah. And they, they've been, so they shouldn't have been able to surface, but something has happened that's making them surface and no one knows what to do about it. And he's a marine biologist. So he starts looking into it. Gotcha. And like discovers his his who his dad is and what that means he is and how all how everything ties together and there's this treasure down there and and all the stuff from the Crusades, this holy relic. It's not really treasure, it's it's a holy relic that's hidden down there. Um Yeah. It it's a pretty good book. I don't really like the sequel, but that one would make for a pretty good movie. Yeah, it sounds pretty interesting. Speaking of the the Meg, isn't there a sequel to the Meg coming out? There sure is. is. There's like, I don't know, how many of those books? I still have Audible up. Hang on. I have most of those books. We saw um, the first Meg in the theater. We got to go see the second one in the damn theater. Right. I had a lot of fun watching that first movie. Like, that movie is kind of dumb in like all the best ways. I had a blast watching the Meg. There are seven Meg books. Jesus Christ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um... <clears throat> I was shocked because, okay, so the second book before it got popular was just called The Trench, and the rest of them have Meg, colon, like Meg, Primal Waters, Meg, Hell's Aquarium, Night Stalkers, blah, blah, blah. Meg, who let you back in the house? And I was I was surprised <laughs> uh, on that trailer. It was like Meg to The Trench or something. I'm like, that's the title of the book. They said the thing. They said the thing. Said that's why I'm Superman Four: The Quest for pre for Peace. Oh, that's because why the they called for, it that. The Quest for Peace. <laughs> Quest for Peace. That's one of my favorite Family Guy things. And he's just like, that's why they called it that. 
Bro, did you know for $250,000, you can get in a submersible and go visit the Meg? It's pretty sick. Oh, dude. Yeah. I mean, yeah. the, the window's a little shoddy, but... There was a... I mean, uh, there sorry, was is a, that too soon? There was, I feel like no, it maybe too soon. it's not. Maybe for the 19-year-old, <laughs> but fuck the rest of yeah. them. Um, yeah, I feel really bad for that guy. Uh, the rest of them... Fuck the yeah, the rest of fucking dumbasses. Do do something better with your money. Um, yeah, yeah. There's a podcast I listened to where when he was one of the guys was reporting on the submersible going missing over the Titanic. The other guy immediately goes, "Oh, Meg got him," and he's like, "No, <laughs> it didn't." And then he continues reporting on it. And then he, when he gets to the part where like the date and time that it went missing, he was like, "Oh, it had to be a giant squid." And he's like, "No, it wasn't." And he just kept going on and on <laughs> with different monsters. Oh my goodness! <laughs> All right, yeah. Before we get into a full-on tangent about uh, us talking about how stupid billionaires can be, uh, yeah, uh, I will say my answer is probably already in the works because of how successful and how much money the the first one did. Uh, it was not really like the first one. It's not a series, but uh, I think Project Hail Mary would be a really, really good movie. I yeah, yeah, we, we, we talked started, about it. We talked I've about it. It's already audio. happening. Yeah. Ryan Gosling. I, uh, I, I think that will work better. Now, granted, I'm only like two hours into it. So I'm like, I'm like a, a fourth of the way into the, the book or something. I forget. I'm like either like a fourth or like a fifth. I'm like a couple I have hours been waiting it. since that book launched to talk to you about that book. Yeah, I uh, I really like the format of him like jogging his memory and then doing a flashback at that point because I think it kind of like opens up the cast a bit more. Because uh, I think it will work better as a movie than his second novel. Like, uh, was it Artemis? Was it the second one? Yeah, I love Artemis. I I like Artemis a lot too, but I think Project Hail Mary will work better as a movie just I don't because know, of like the artemis is a heist on the moon i i really like it it's got like uh like russian crime bosses and like ukrainian crime bosses involved i don't know i think a heist on the moon with a bunch of crime bosses would work uh i i just i like the mystery element of like figuring out what's happening in in like real time along with the character is just like a really cool structure i, I like the structure of project tell mary a lot it's not it's not like a, a diss against artemis it's just i if, if if you put like a gun to my head and said i had to pick one to have a movie made of i would i think project tell mary would be really cool did uh, i tell great you that, great that i i'm only like a fourth of the way into it but i'm liking it a lot and i'm excited to see what they do with it as a movie also that audiobook is really well done yeah it is. there it's are really some cool. audiobooks that the book is good enough you continue but the narrator you're just like oh my god it sounds like they're standing up and reading for the teacher in an English class, but uh, I always, Hell I always have to really like pull done. up the little sample just to see if the narrator is going to be like obnoxious because I, I have straight up like been interested in a book, you know, like mm -hmm. sought out the audiobook, listened to the sample, and then just like discovered how fucking like obnoxious the narrator is and just completely lost interest in it. It's kind of uh, the Altered Carbon book series. I never listened to the third one because they changed uh, narrators. And I was like, how bad can it be? And after about an hour in, I was like, nope. And I hit the refund button and went and got like, I don't know, another Meg book or something. I don't know. It was. <laughs> what was so bad about it? They changed uh, narrators and he was awful. Ooh, he was, he sounded sucks. like he was reading a phone book, not a freaking really? sci-fi novel. Yeah. Uh, he just that had no thing. personality to him. I do hope for. The first Andy two were the same guy and they were great. I, I do hope that for Andy Weir's next novel, it isn't a smart-ass character in a sci-fi situation. Because I, I understand that's, like, his shtick. 
mm-hmm. but I would like to see He's him three kind for of like, three. I would like, and they've all been really good. And the uh, ones that I, he did for Amazon and the ones that he did for Audible are that same way too. He's done like what four or five for them. Yeah, I, I just uh, I would like to see him broaden out and try something a little bit different. He apparently had tried a more kind of prototypical science fiction, you know, like more of like your Dune style science fiction instead of like a more modern, you know, you got your your Martian style character, you know, like smart ass in a modern situation. I know mm. they're like slightly in the future, I think, in those books, but uh, you know what I mean? A it's, more it's traditional science future. fiction. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of like uh like kind of like your traditional Andy where he tried like a traditional science fiction novel in that in that type of realm and you know kind of fucked it up and was not happy with it. So he went back to what he was good at. I respect that. I I would I would just be curious to see what he did outside of that that landscape, uh, outside of, you know, his comfort zone so far in right. his books cuz I think he's really really great uh at coming up with just like amazing pacing for his books. Like I never feel like I'm spending as much time reading or yeah, that's to his, his stuff. best strength is his yeah. pacing. It's great. I, mean, um, I love that. Cause like, you know, like they're probably like one of the greatest writers of all time, Stephen King. I can't read most of his stuff because it is so lethargically paced and so detailed that I'm just like, I am more interested in the plot than like the specificity that Stephen King is obsessed with. in most of his books, yeah. So I like that about Andy Weir, where he is focused on the plot. I, I like I, that a lot. I it just I just recently by. abandoned a uh, Stephen King book. Which one? Uh, the Institute, I think it's called. I'm not familiar with that one. The only Stephen King book I have been able to finish recently. I've read a few of his books. I can't remember... Uh, most of them were like his, I think his short stories are really strong because he doesn't have time in them to kind of like meander around and have 800 pages of nothing. Like, you know, sometimes like, uh, why is it 1300 pages long? It's like a murder alien clown. Why, why do we need 1300 pages Jesus. of that? Yeah. It's, uh, it's called the Institute by Stephen King. Okay. And it's supposed to be really, really good. And I think there was some TV show made off of it or something. Yeah, and pretty much everything. I was going to uh, listen to it, and after a while, I was just like, "I don't care," <laughs> and I quit. Yeah. Um, it's, that's what sucks too. It's like it's usually an interesting setup that then just really, really stalls out as he kind of takes like I think too many threads. I feel like sometimes he follows like too many characters, like too many, too many points of like contact for the plot. You know. Yeah. But uh, one that I actually uh, really liked of his. That I I uh, was a recommendation from Cole from uh, Watch Out for Fireballs. Uh, have you ever heard of From a Buick Eight? No. Uh, this is a cool one. You'll like it. It's Lovecraftian. Uh, Ooh. So it takes place. I think they're in Texas. It's like a super small town, and it follows this sheriff's department who has uh, discovered a car that randomly becomes like a portal to a different dimension. Huh. And uh, they start to have like stuff come through the portal and they end up having to like basically like put cameras and have like a 24 seven watch on this fucking car just in the chance that this weird shit happens. And it is one of his like shorter novels. I think like the audio book only. Oh, so it's like a million pages. Yeah. You know, it's only 30 days long instead of like 100 days long. (laughs) But no, uh, it was actually like pretty well paced for Stephen King. And I thought followed like the right amount of characters. It was very like streamlined for him. And I really liked it. So yeah, if if you're uh browsing around for some Lovecraftian 
uh, stuff, look up uh, with your Audible credits that you get uh, from a Buick 8 is pretty good. I like it. Uh, just as a point of interest, uh, Artemis by Andy Weir. Did I ever tell you who narrates it? It's uh, Rosario Dawson, right? Yeah, and she's who, fucking uh, awesome. And She should play the main character if they ever turned it into a movie. That's exactly what I was going to say. That's exactly yeah. who I would have cast for that role. Yeah, she'd be great. Yeah, she she uh she is basically Jasmine in a nutshell. I believe that was the main character, right? Jazz. Um, yeah. She's basically Jasmine in a nutshell. So, but she's Pretty probably much. too busy, you know, being a badass Jedi bitch. So. Yeah. Is, is isn't she uh, Ahsoka? Yes, she is. I think that show comes out like what, like pretty next soon. year or something. Yeah. Is it this year or next year? I forget. I thought it's, it was like, this pretty, year, but maybe it is. It's next pretty year. close. Yeah, it's pretty close. It's not too far out. Uh, but yeah, uh, I think we're gonna switch over unless you had anything else to add with that uh, to talk about the three, three Musketeers and uh. Damn right. Did you have anything else to add about our previous conversation, Ron? Uh, no, I don't. I don't think we. I think we've covered way too many bases. <laughs> Yeah, we're starting yeah. to sound like Stephen King over here, man. We gotta right? get, get, get back know. on track. We gotta start talking about this track. lady looks like this specific snack as she knits. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, oh I get my it. god, she likes Pringles. Why, why are we having an entire chapter based on how much this lady likes Pringles? Man? That's what it felt like. like. That's exactly what it felt like. Like, please get back to the plot. Okay, uh, Ron. Mm. Uh, first of all, spoilers for 1993's version of the Three Musketeers. Uh, I know you uh, had elaborated a little bit on this selection at the ending of the previous episode when we announced it, but uh, what uh, led you to want to have this on the show? I can't watch a movie like Princess Bride and not think of The Three Musketeers, which is one of my all-time favorite movies. And I, this came out in 1993, so I was eight years old when it came out. I did not see it in theaters, but I have the VHS somehow. And I have oh, about cool. worn that VHS out. Uh, I just kind of watched this movie on repeat. Like sometimes I would sit and watch it. Sometimes I had it on while I was playing with whatever. But it was pretty much always running. And I think my love for France and French history and my love of anything Three Musketeers related is kind of from this, from my childhood. Because this movie was such a good movie. Uh, I don't know. I it blah. I think it's where I became such a big fan of Oliver Platt and uh, Charlie Sheen also. And I get excited anywhere time I see Michael Wincott somewhere. I, I, I Anytime I run into any of these cast members, like, oh, they're from the Three Musketeers. And then I have yeah. to sit and watch it. It's criminal how few things Michael Wincott's been in over the oh years. Oh, my God. He's so I know. fucking good at it. Yeah, we'll, we'll talk about him in this. Uh, yeah, I, I encourage everyone to go check out this fucking movie. Uh, it's on Disney Plus. You already have it. Just yeah, go watch yeah. it. Yeah, you already have it. And if you're Googling it, you'll the first thing you'll notice is probably like the 30% Rotten Tomatoes score. And I don't understand that by a long shot. Wow. I understand it's not like the greatest movie of all time. But what about this movie is offensive to the point to where it's only getting 30% positive? Like, that's bonkers to it's me. It's probably because it's not as offensive as Alexander Dumas can be. <laughs> <laughs> it's the original. It, I don't remember finishing it i think i dropped off because i just didn't go back i don't remember there being anything wrong with it but the original story this is based on is not tame and yeah, especially in 2023 eyes it's yeah uh, i'll go ahead and ask that now because that was that's actually a question i had for you during this recording okay so have you read the book like in its entirety uh not in or, its entirety i don't believe okay i was yeah my question it's been was a while i i uh, has this or 
any adaptation actually been over the original story and not the kind of like Hollywood romantization of the Three Musketeers? I don't know if you're going to get um, something that hardcore follows the story because they're assholes. I don't remember one of them. Is it Aramis or Athos? Someone has a slave that follows them around that they beat up all the time. Really? And stuff. Jesus. Yeah. Like it's, yeah, they're assholes, man. Like yeah. in, in 2023, they're not necessarily people you might want to root for. So they basically got turned into like Zorro, er, like Errol it's, Flynn style characters. It's probably more, you know, accurate to the time period for sure. Oh, yeah. There was nothing wrong with having slaves in 1600s or whatever, but uh, we don't feel that way now. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, uh, yeah. yeah, that. But uh, I, I don't remember it being as far as like a story goes, right? I don't remember it being awful. I remember it being longer than it needed to be, but I had it on. I think what happened is uh, if you have a library card, uh, you can get access to audiobooks and ebooks and comic books just for free. And I think I started it there. And then I think our library switched to a different service. And I was like, well, I don't know where I was. And I'm not starting the fuck over if I remember what, correctly. What is, what is this library? You speak? Is that <laughs> right? like Amazon for old people? <laughs> Pretty much. <laughs> you're not wrong. <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong. It, you can get movies. You can wrong, get Walter. CDs. You're <laughs> you're not wrong, Walter. You're just an asshole. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, because uh, it is. It is Amazon for old people because it's books, it's movies, it's TV, it's uh, <laughs> CDs. You can literally just go to a brick-and-mortar place, show them your membership card, and then take things out and leave with it and not get arrested. So, I yeah. Imagine, I just imagine, like, that as a joke in, like, a, a Mel Brooks scene where it's like the, the main character is going to a library and outside is like the, the like this local library sign and underneath it in like a little quotes is like it's amazon for old people <laughs> right um but yeah i they they have to pay membership right to online libraries unless your library is big enough to have its own but um we are not and they I guess they price shop, so every once in a while they change services, and yeah, you get an email saying we no longer use this service, follow this service. And yeah. uh, I'm pretty sure, I remember there was one story, and I'm pretty sure it's Three Musketeers that I was about halfway through, and then I lost it, and I was like, nope, not starting that over, maybe that in the future. Fucking, that fucking sucks. <laughs> but Yeah. My library yeah. card's where I watched uh, the original Gone in 60 Seconds on this show. That's what oh. I used was uh, we use Hoopla for movies, and Hoopla had it in there. So I watched the Nicolas Cage version and the original, and so that, that was Hoopla, a journey. Hoopla, Hoopla pro Nicolas Cage. I respect that. Hey, all 50 issues. That's the entire run of Immortal Hulk is in Hoopla. So. Oh, but dude, I, I sometimes sit back and think about how many TV shows movies games comics anime that i'm like i want to check out and i'm behind on and i like the one th thing i often like will forget about is how many comics i want to read and that's just like daunting as fuck like there's just so many fucking comics coming out constantly and i don't know how they still manage to come up with like interesting stories for characters like batman like this yeah. character's been around for 80 fucking years with 
just hundreds of issues every year from like you know like they like dc has like five different batman books going concurrently like at all times minimum well what you do when what you do when you need a break and trying to find the next creative thing is you make batman ninja there you go did you ever see that movie i haven't i have not seen it (laughs) i remember you you seeing it and like some of if your you ever piss priceless. me off, I think I will have it on this podcast. I mean, I'm. It's just a matter of when, because <laughs> I'm gonna piss you off eventually. So, it was yeah. not good. I'm saying <laughs> it was not. Good. It was not. And now, good. and now, someone has added it to their their ammunition for friends Damn and family. Damn you, month. Sophie! <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. I have never read the Three Musketeers, but I I find it interesting how the kind of like perception for the characters just got straight up turned into like Zorro where they're, they're very romanticized. Like you, like you said, like they weren't good people because did good people exist back then? It doesn't really seem like it. Do good <laughs> people exist like, now? That's, <laughs> like, that's also true. <laughs> see, and here's but the like, thing. But like, if you think of like the 1600s, you know, it's just like, even like the quote unquote, like good people, like the, you yeah. know, like better than, better than the worst, like still had slaves and shit. So there's like all fucking terrible people. Yeah. It's not a good time. Now it's interesting. You brought up Zorro though, because that may be why I even fell in love with this movie to start with, because I grew up watching the old black and white, uh, Zorro reruns and I fucking love Zorro. What so, do you think of the Antonio Banderas? I love that Zorro? movie. I the, haven't seen that. The Mask of Zorro. Yeah, Mask of Zorro. Anthony Hopkins passing the mantle on. Anthony Hopkins. See, the brilliant thing about that movie is he's not just Zorro. Like, that movie starts with Anthony Hopkins is the one that you know and remember, but he's too old now. And so like Zorro beyond. You know, like we talked about, like, oh, yeah, Zorro, about the white man that comes in to save the brown men. Yes. Um, well, that movie literally, uh, corrects that because he passes the mantle to Antonio Banderas and then he dies and Antonio Banderas is Zorro. So it's, that's one thing that's interesting about that movie is that's kind of ahead of its time as far as that style of thinking. So here's a question. Uh What are your thoughts? I I know we'll talk about the actual movie here eventually. (laughs) You keep claiming we will. What are you <laughs> speaking of segues? Uh, what are your thoughts on the Man in the Iron Mask? I've never seen it. You've never seen it. Okay, I was just looking at it because I, I remember this movie existed. Do you know who plays Aramis, Athos, and Porthos? No. Aramis is Jeremy Irons. What? Athos is John Malkovich, which is what? <laughs> yeah. And uh Oh no! It's uh, D'Artagnan. It's played by Gabriel Byrne, uh, the the dad from Hereditary. Uh, okay. Yeah. Who's Porthos? Porthos is uh, Gerard Depardieu. I'm sure you've heard of him. I know the name. Yeah. I cannot think. think I'm, of... I'm scrolling back through his IMDb on something you might recognize him from because definitely recognize the name. But yeah. Uh, I've always heard that movie is terrible, but it has a good cast. Well, so also though, I've never heard anyone say anything good about a uh, a Three Musketeers movie. So that's also true. Yeah, because like this one's really good, and everyone still fucking hates this movie. So I don't under I don't understand. I don't understand how you watched the Charlie Sheen one 
mm-hmm. and have been expecting anything different from a 90s Three Musketeers movie that's like very, very like Stephen Summers esque tone. Yeah. You know, like very lighthearted adventure. It's like they're cracking jokes in my summer blockbuster in the 1993 movie. Fuck this movie. It's right. Like, what? <laughs> what? Yeah. But yeah, let's uh, let's 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 dive into it. Uh, let's uh, what were you about to say? I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> yes, you did. Um, <laughs> speaking of, <laughs> it's it's a shame that the man in the iron mask was not Jeremy Irons. Yeah, it seems like it would be appropriate. Who knows? Who That's knows? all I had. That's what you cut off. <laughs> you should have just kept going. <laughs> 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 this is on you. We're taking some Stephen King esque. It, it was, it was right on now. me until you hit the brakes and put it in reverse. And now it's on yeah, you. That's 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 fair. My bad. I'm sorry, <laughs> everybody. All right, yeah. Let's let's jump in. Uh, the Three Musketeers from 1993. I was all of two years old, so the first time I had actually seen this movie uh, was when uh, you were almost like beta testing rewatching I this really right was. via me. I used yeah, you, you to, re- to rewatch it. Because you fucking loved this movie as a kid. Uh, you were terrified to revisit it, thinking it might be bad because it would then like would ruin your entire childhood. It would ruin everything. And you know, I'm more picky typically than you are. Yes. So if I watched it and liked it, you would absolutely like fall I, back in love with I it. I think I said this at the end of the last episode, but we know this podcast is, is not designed to be sequential. So yeah. uh, I told the story of I, bought, I found it on DVD. I bought it. And then put it on my <laughs> shelf, and that was it. I never did anything with it. And Jeff had said that he hadn't watched it. And I was like, oh, dude, it's good as far as I know. But here, I literally took the DVD down, ripped the shrink wrap off, and then gave it to him to go watch. So the first time <laughs> I even opened it was for Jeff to go watch it on his own. Damn straight. Because I was so scared that it maybe it wasn't good. Yeah. And I just loved it because i was little and dumb so (laughs) i don't know unfortunately uh like you were able to like watch this again and and, like love it usually when i go back to stuff that i liked as a little kid i fucking hate it and i feel really (laughs) stupid (laughs) i'm glad that that. you were i did not want that (laughs) i am glad that you were able to have the opposite experience uh, because i have no attachment to three musketeers at all you Uh, you literally texted me i believe it was it holds up or something like that. Yeah. And I was like, oh, thank God. <laughs> like, wipe the, sp- the sweat from your brow. Yeah, the, the first thing I did yeah. and you gave it back to me was I watched it. So I have used that DVD once and you've used it once. And now we don't need to because we can get it in uh, HD on Disney+. Plus. Yeah, I, a lot of people always like, man, I just, I, I don't want to not have, like, physical media. I, I'm so lazy. I love phys- not having physical media. I, I like being able to boot up Disney+, Plus and it's just fucking there. It's like, yeah, it is kind of bullshit because the stuff you pay to own, you don't really own, but I will take the convenience factor over. If, if there's a video stuff. game that I play often enough, like I own um, digital copies and physical copies of games. Like I uh, I got tired of swapping the disc out constantly to Hades for an instance. Bought it again. And I bought it again when it was on sale. I put it on a wish list, and when it went on sale, I bought it again. And yeah. then so the I can leave, I can leave the disc in there. I know I'm going to boot it up and do a couple of runs at some point, and constantly having to get up and change discs. You know, I could just leave it. What was it Bobby loaned me? I could just leave it in the tray, do a Hades, yeah. do a Hades run to wind down before I go to bed or something, and not have to swap discs. So yeah, it's like it's not even like the 
the more expensive versions of the current consoles having like disk drives they that's not a selling point to me yeah uh, it's also bullshit that like all you're doing when you put in the fucking ps5 disc is it's downloading it just as if you were downloading it from the playstation store i don't right. even think you get i don't even think you get like faster speeds it's basically just like a drm unlock for you to have access to fucking download the game so the disc does nothing. Sometimes, you know, depending on your internet connection, it could be even downloading it slower from the disc than it would yeah, be true. your internet connection these days. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, uh, so this was uh, the 1993 version of The Three Musketeers. Uh, we have our director, who is Stephen Herrick, who was a name uh, I didn't recognize off the rip, but did you ever go back and look at his uh, directorial efforts in like the late 80s and early 90s? I did. He directed Bill and Ted, dude. I had no idea this was the same dude. I love Bill and completely Ted. Completely different movie. Completely different movie, yeah. Uh, Di- he also directed uh, Don't Tell Mom the Babysitter's Dead. Yep. And he directed the fucking Mighty, Mighty Ducks. Ducks. So what's so funny is like this guy directed The Three Musketeers, which was like your movie you had constantly on as a kid. Two of the movies that I had constantly on as a little kid were The Mighty Ducks and the Sandlot were two that I just watched like fucking religiously. Yeah, I watched the Mighty Ducks a fuck ton. The Mighty Ducks was so good, and I watched the ever loving shit out of it. Never in a million years would I've expected seen... the same guy that directed Bill and Ted directed the fucking Mighty Ducks and the Three right? Musketeers. Did you pay attention to what year all of his shits come out? He was a busy man. Yeah, they're they're back they're like every year. He has a movie yeah, like every year. He's got a TV movie the same year as Bill and Ted. He had two movies he directed come out in 1989, and then he's got 91, 92, 93. Then he finally took a year off, and he's got 95, yeah. 96, 98, 99. Like my so, God, dude. <laughs> yeah, take a break. Uh, it's also weird. Okay, so Mr. Holland's Opus is a movie I haven't seen, uh, but I'm familiar with. I, I remember it being a thing. And then he directed 101 Dalmatians. Yep. Yeah, which. Did the did the 101 Dalmatians movie like flop? Because he seemed to have like a decent little run, and then he just stopped making like like high tier movies. He just started Pretty making sure. like direct to DVD style movies. Pretty sure everybody hates that movie. I have no attachment to it either way, because I I just never wanted to to watch it as a little kid for some reason. It was just one of those adaptations that just I didn't care. The most memorable thing is Glenn Close. Yeah. Glenn Close, as you could imagine, was fucking legendary as Cruella DeVille. It's just weird to me. You look back at the guy and he made the Mighty Ducks and Bill and Ted, like Bill and Ted alone. You know, yeah. do you think you'd think he'd have like more longevity? Maybe he just stopped wanting to like maybe he just wore himself out because like you said, he'd fucking directed like ten movies over the course of eight years. It's like fuck, I don't want to fucking do that anymore. I'll just live <laughs> off of Mighty Duck and uh, Bill and Ted. <laughs> royalties throughout the years i guess did you see he directed the young macgyver tv movie and then when they rebooted the series he directed it says 11 episodes dude loves his macgyver series he loves his macgyver loves his macgyver that's fair you know hey if he he liked it and he got to go make it you know and he got he got a paycheck for it yeah there you go i dude i'm just now realizing the macgyver tv show lasted more than a season I thought yeah. that shit was going to get immediately canceled like everything no, does. It and ran like, for far too long. <laughs> far too long. <laughs> I wonder what's going to happen this week. Is MacGyver going to MacGyver's way out of a MacGyver situation? I don't know. <laughs> we'll find out. Now, hey, being born in 85, I watched the fuck out of the original MacGyver, all right? I, you, my, you, my, you, sir. Hey, hey, I, I'm just saying, 
it's the same fucking shit every week and i i like it too because my dad was a huge macgyver fan of the original show so i watched a fair amount and i don't know what it is about watching to do with like a swiss army knife and bubblegum like work his way out of a nuclear bomb but it's entertaining so they made like a thousand episodes off that show so i'm gonna do to a quick plug for shocking mythbusters okay go if you have hbo then you have mythbusters because everything discovery plus got folded into hbo and now it's max so go to max and find mythbusters as a macgyver special and they initially even start out talking about how all this shit that they do especially on mythbusters is basically completely inspired by all the shit MacGyver could do, like the way he, his train of thought and the way he went about his process and things. Yeah. And in the MacGyver special, uh, Tori and Grant make what's essentially an obstacle course for Jamie and Adam. And they're all things that MacGyver did throughout the run of the series but everything's tucked away like they've been imprisoned in a compound and they have to escape the compound. And they take some of the same things that MacGyver did, but do the th same things differently and still beat the game. Uh, it's crazy. really cool to watch them to watch them work. And everything, every scenario, every piece of equipment they were given was um, was something from MacGyver. And they had to MacGyver their way out of the situation they're in, and they did it. It's pretty cool. It was really neat. They had no idea what they were supposed to do. They just, they were tied up. They were blindfolded. They got out of that situation and they just went through them one scenario to the next till they nice. escape. And they do escape. Spoiler alert. God um, damn it, Ron. I don't have a reason to watch it, man. But there's moments when they're just like, who knew you could do that? <laughs> As they're watching like Adam do this thing. <laughs> and they're like, why does it look like he's done this before? <laughs> like, uh, I've also just been browsing through his IMDb page, and uh, he directed an episode of the Rush Hour TV show, which I still really? question. Which I still uh, question. Why does that show exist? <laughs> I, I don't know why it even exists past that, the first one. It's it's so funny. Like, do you remember? It was between, like, 2015 and, like, 2018. They were so fucking down bad for TV shows. Every single movie yeah. that had any inkling of success from like the late 90s and early aughts was converted into a fucking ill-advised tv show that was fucking terrible and they made it and it was immediately canceled yeah it's like but they love maybe pay, they maybe love pay the reboots <laughs> their reboots hang around forever dude swat and hawaii 50 and yeah, yeah, the MacGyver series symbol. yeah like they hang around forever they really do it's it's bizarre uh, so let's, uh, let's continue on. Uh, the writer shockingly co-credited Alexander Dumas. Who I know the guy. Crazy. Yeah, the uh, co-writer who is still alive. Uh, <laughs> as far as we know. As, Dave, as far as we know, David Lowry. As long as he didn't take all of his musketeer earnings to go visit the Titanic. <laughs> oh God, I feel like <laughs> I can't help it. I feel like I should feel bad making jokes about that, and then I don't. And then I was like, huh, now I just move on with my day. <laughs> Have you looked at the the screenplay career of this guy? This guy also has just a fucking bonkers resume of writing credits. And when they got together, it was murder. <laughs> fucking heart to heart, man. So this guy wrote uh, the 93 Three Musketeers, right? Yeah, yeah. 
His first credit on IMDb is for the screenplay for the Star Trek V The Final Frontier video game. That's pretty Ooh. lit. There you go. Then he wrote Passenger 57, which is a Wesley Snipes action movie. I have probably seen because my dad is the type. Uh, he fucking loved every Wesley Snipes slash Steven Seagal slash John Claude Van Damme movie from the 80s and 90s. I did too. We, we watched them constantly. And then it turned so out I, most of them were assholes. But yes, yeah. I watched. I, I was Joe, right? Watching the Steven Seagal movies at <laughs> night. <laughs> so Bonnie, he won't disturb Bonnie. He wears his headphones. Good soul. <laughs> uh, <laughs> she falls out of the bed. Uh, I love that. Fucking uh, it's so good. But no, uh, I mean, there was a time when, you know, those were good movies. Yeah. Uh, also, uh, this, uh, this guy wrote Tom and Hook, another adaptation from, uh, <laughs> 16 and 1700s novelizations from the adventures of Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn. So he's, he's got a, he's got a shtick, you know, <laughs> I wonder if he also wrote Barbie as the princess and the pauper, right? That was a, uh, you know, Mark Twain joint. Yeah. Really? The nineties had a weird obsession with, <laughs> These classic movies uh, and these like classic fucking novels just being turned into something that is completely like the opposite of like what the stories actually were. Like, even I think I watched that Tom and Huck movie and it is like not even recognizable as like a Tom Sawyer and Adventures of Huck Finn thing. And it's just like, why? What what IP are you capitalizing on by having Tom Huck? Tom, t- sorry, Tom and Huck as. <laughs> Your care, like, man, those kids in the 90s, they fucking love their their Tom Sawyer, man. They love it. They wow. can't get enough of Huck Finn. Oh, Jonathan Taylor Thomas, JTT. Yeah the, yeah, the 90s golden boy couldn't even save it. Huh. Crazy. Yeah. And then that guy, after Tom and Huck, didn't write for 13 years. So... That's kind of crazy. What? Came back with One of the co-writers on that is Stephen Summers. On Tom and Huck? Yes. No shit. I'm going back through and checking it out. Whoa. That's crazy. I didn't realize he had worked on that. I so saw Stephen that. Stephen Summers still managed to have a career after Tom and <laughs> Huck. Good for him. I saw that and I was like, Stephen Summers who? It's not the Stephen Summers and clicked on it. And the first thing I see is the mummy. I was like, no, yeah. What? Anyway, just really bizarre. I also remember Lakeview Terrace existing, and I remember the trailers for it, but I never saw it. You remember Lakeview Terrace? You remember the trailers I, for that? I, I I know the name. I don't know what it is. Yeah. So uh, this is like I think it was Samuel L. Jackson. He plays like a cop who is harassing this family that moves in next door to him. Oh, really weird. There's a um. Is that the same movie I'm thinking of? When did that come out? Two thousand eight. Okay, yeah, I know, I know that. I never saw it, but I know what it they is. Were, it was like the most advertised movie of fucking all time. There were just trailers for it going on all the time around the clock. Yeah, because and, at that point I was working at the movie theater, and I remember just trailer after trailer after trailer, and then I remember running it, and I just remember like watching bits and pieces of it here and there. Yeah, it's crazy. But, yeah. Yeah. You want to jump into the cast? Because the cast, I feel uh, like... There's there's no need to jump into the cast. Nobody survived this movie. This movie destroyed all their careers. None of these people were ever heard from again. Yeah, it's unfortunate. They went it, on... It's really unfortunate. Yeah. They, they didn't even make it to Tom and Huck, man. It was, it was I know. unfortunate. Really, really unfortunate. Well, yeah, I, I feel like I've been talking in bad... Like, just 
fucking babbling for a long time. So why don't you run us to the cast, Ron? Dude, this cast. So we've got Charlie Sheen as Aramis. You know, this is pre-Tiger Blood Charlie Sheen, as far as we knew. I love that he's the most, like, low-key character in the movie. He's yes. very chill. I love that. This is pre-Hot Shots, right? It's like a couple years before Hot Shots. Was Hot Shots... I can just click on his name and see. Um, uh, Hot Shots Part Duo was 93, so no. That means Part 1 was like late 80s. I think so. Oh my God, there's so much to scroll through on his IMDb. Um, Major League was 89. I feel like that's the one that put him on the map. And then Hot Shots was 91. So he did Hot Shots, this, and Part Duo. Um, all in the span of just a few years. Uh, yeah. Charlie Sheen, man. Remember when he was good? It's unfortunate how much he became a meme. Yeah. Because, like, Charlie Sheen was genuinely... I, I I mean, he was never, like, Gary Oldman or anything, but I think he was very charismatic for his time. Uh, I think he had Especially great Especially as timing. Aramis, right? Yeah, like... Womanizing like had, like, ex-preacher... Like, come on. He's I so love good. The, I, I love the kind of, like, balance between him, like, clearly being religious, you know? Yeah. But just not religious enough to, like, follow the, like, celibacy and stuff that can sometimes, like, be intertwined with it. You and know? just when you... Because that's how they introduce him, right? As adultery. Yeah. And when he sees, like, okay, we need to pray for our sins, he busts through the door. Oh, you know, God's often busy. And then he gets up and runs out the window. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah. Yeah, I just... I stuff like that, it, uh, and then you get to that big fight, and after killing people, he's going around giving all the dead bodies their last rites because he actually believes in his yeah. religion. It just doesn't always show. Um, yeah, dude, yeah, he's like he's really serious about like the idea like of the afterlife, and you know, like making sure he pays his respects to these people and that they have like their last rites, you know, delivered and everything. But he doesn't follow it down to like the nitty gritty detail of like having to follow all of like the rules, you know, that yeah. people get like obsessed with i think uh, he's a, i think he has a cool character uh like trait to him with that because typically when you have a religious character in a movie especially from like back in the day they were devout to a t and yes. you know like very very one note and i think him having like a little bit more like gray to his character is cool and and it is funny like you go back and watch it and it's just like you associate charlie sheen with being fucking batshit insane uh funny yeah, that's like, what i associate with him today um yeah this movie is very cynical about religion in general. And I love that about it because that was for 1993. That, yeah. that wasn't necessarily in vogue yet. Like he had movies like that, but this is Disney. This is a PG yeah. Disney movie for kids that is showing like the dirty side of religion. Yeah. It's like a, it's one of the things I actually like a lot about uh, the animated uh, Hunchback of Notre Dame movie. Yeah. Is they're, they're also very anti-religion, which I appreciate because they did fucking... They were monsters back then. Absolutely. Like, this shit isn't fiction. Like, these people were basically able to, like, use their power to become, like, monarchs. And, just and be, oftentimes like, more powerful than the monarch. Yeah, and it's like, I mean... Fucking Tim Curry in this movie has a Demon Souls level as his basement. Yeah. <laughs> as a torture device. Uh, sorry, as a torture I, chamber I, thing. I went, I went with, yeah. uh, you know, I went with King Leoric from Diablo. But yeah, same difference. Yeah. yeah. It's fucking bonkers. He's He's got the zombie mountain before Game of Thrones existed down there, man. It's terrifying. 
<laughs> uh, Kiefer Sutherland. This is one of my all-time favorite performances from Kiefer Sutherland love, as Athos. So, so I don't think I've ever told you this. I'm a giant Kiefer Sutherland simp. I believe I, it has come up because you used to talk about 24. Yeah, dude. I was fucking obsessed with That might have been the old podcast, but it has come up. Yeah, I, I, I have seen every episode of 24. I fucking loved that show. Yes, I understand it's really stupid. Like how every terrible thing that is a cliffhanger happens at 58 minutes into every single hour on the hour. <laughs> it is incredibly stupid. But you tell me it is Kiefer Sutherland basically being the Punisher and like punching uh, terrorists in the face. It's like, I can get down with that. So what was I, it he I, got I love... in trouble for? I always got the feeling he was like a genuinely good dude and he got in trouble. Was he, was he, is he the one that? They had a warrant out for his arrest uh, because I know they had a warrant out for his arrest, but I don't remember what it was for. It was yeah, like another I, DUI or something. He he literally something. went down and turned himself in, and they actually had a contract. He they would literally drive him from the jail to the set of Twenty Four. He would work on Twenty Four, and at the end of shooting, when they wrapped, they would drive him back to the jail. You, uh, you, get, you get him on the set for one hour. <laughs> yeah, and he. <laughs> And he was, <laughs> I see what you did there. Um, but yeah, like he, he heard that, you know, they wanted to arrest him and he just like walked through the door and was like, all right, here I am. Like, I remember that distinctly because I always thought he came off, he came, blah, he came across as a genuinely good dude. And then I heard that. I remember reading about all that. I'm like, I, I think yeah. he is genuinely yeah, I, a good dude. Uh, I mean, his dad is Donald Sutherland. Come on. Right. I want Donald Sutherland to be, to be my grandpa. Come on. Hell yeah, dude. He'd be so fun uh, as a grandpa. Yeah. Um, Man. Robin himself, Chris O'Donnell, as D'Artagnan. Oh, I was just going to say real quick about Kiefer Sutherland. Nope, we moved He's, on. Oh, okay, my bad. Continue. <laughs> uh, so he, I went back and looked. He was like either 26 or 27 at the time of them filming this. And I just think it's so funny. You go back and watch Kiefer Sutherland movies and stuff. From when he was in his like twenties and thirties, he looks like he's forty. The dude just always had the personality and gruffness of like a fifty-five-year-old, and I just love that I, about I him. I swear to God, my entire life, Kiefer Sutherland has been in his forties. Yeah, my <laughs> entire like, life, and that's not necessarily a bad thing. Like he's always been a good-looking dude. He's a great actor, but there's something about him. He's just been in, just, he's just been in his forties my entire <laughs> life. He's like you go back and you look at like a Clint Eastwood movie when he was in his like twenties. <laughs> And he was always just a 75-year-old cranky guy. Yeah. <laughs> that was just his personality. That is like Kiefer Sutherland. He was just always like a gruff, I'm too old for this shit. Even when he wasn't too old for this shit. It's really right. funny. Uh, but yeah, continue. continue. Um, Chris O'Donnell is D'Artagnan. Oh so, my god, Jeff. What are, what are your thoughts on Chris O'Donnell in this movie? I think he's very Chris O'Donnell. Yeah, I think he's very, very Chris O'Donnell. I think he's used well. I just think it's really, really funny how, in retrospect, how much damage the Batman movies, like, did to Chris O'Donnell's career. They ruined him. They ruined his, like, they straight, like, Hayden Christensen, Anakin Skywalker, like, level ruined his fucking career. I'm going to admit I have bias in this movie because I can't think of Chris O'Donnell without thinking of D'Artagnan. So... See, I think of Batman. I think of the Batman movies. I, when I think of him, I think of him... In this movie, so even though he's being very Chris O'Donnell in this movie, it works for me because this is how I remember Chris O'Donnell to begin with. 
But anytime yeah. he's in anything else, I'm just like, oh, hey, Chris O'Donnell. I, I think it is a good selection because his natural charisma and that kind of like... He has... Uh, it's hard to... Yeah. He has this little half smile that he does that is perfect for this character. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about? Anytime like... he's in trouble like that, um, trying to get out of being in trouble with your mom smile that yeah. he does throughout this movie... Uh, it works because he, he had real like his character that he always is in all of his movies most like uh fits d'artagnan as a character and his role with the other musketeers yes so while i don't think chris o'donnell is particularly like good in this movie as an actor i think they just picked the right guy there was no one else they could the cast role. for this role the way he's written yeah he he works even it's it's weird it's like even though he's not acting that well He's acting perfectly for what the story like needs him to be. Exactly. Uh, but yeah, I, I just watch anything else, and I just see, I just see Chris O'Donnell being Chris O'Donnell, and also Chris O'Donnell as as Robin, and it just like I can never like take him seriously, and it's a shame because it's not his fault. Like, of course, the guy who signed up to be Robin. Yeah, why they, wouldn't they, you? They were on the they were on the heels of the Burton Batman movies. Yeah, they were fucking huge. That was like the role of a lifetime. I mean, yeah, it's ill-advised. They picked a 45-year-old to play the teenager <laughs> kid. You know, he went to, like, the, the same high school as the the 45-year-old uh, adult teenagers in the Spider-Man uh, <laughs> movies yeah. from, from Sam Raimi. But, uh, but he would have been insane faults. to turn that down. Yeah, it's insane. like people It's like people give, like, Hayden Christensen shit for being uh, Anakin. It's like, oh, you were going to turn down Star Wars? Yeah, exactly what it's like it's not their fault that the movies they were in were shit and that their their writing was atrocious it's not their fault that's like it, that's a lot of the problem that i have the actor's job is not the same as the writers they're not writing as they're filming yeah yeah they, they are like, doing what they are given they can only do so much you if, know like gary oldman wouldn't have been able to save those fucking Schumacher Batman no, movies. No, John Hurt couldn't Dude, have saved them. Think of who else is in that that first Schumacher Batman movie: Nicole Kidman, Val Kilmer, <laughs> Tommy yeah. Lee Jones, Jim Carrey. All people who are good actors, and for the most part, were white hot in that time period. Yeah, and they just couldn't fucking save it because the writing and the directing was atrocious, and that is none of their faults. And it's just a shame that like poor Chris O'Donnell got. Hayden Christensen and like shoehorned into being thought of and remembered as that character, even though it wasn't his fault. It just kind of sucks. The happy ending for Chris O'Donnell is he ended up on one of those like CSI type shows and think of whatever you will about those shows as an actor, a steady paycheck on a recurring TV show gig that lasts multiple seasons that will probably go on long enough to be syndicated. Oh yeah. They're set. That's the dream. I think he was in one of the NCIS spinoffs. Yeah, but I, I might be mistaken. Well, I, I, it's all the same to me. But it's all the yeah, just a combination I mean, of letters. That may not seem like a happy ending if you're not a fan of those shows. But th- what he got on that deal is the dream for any yeah. actor. I'm, I'm happy for him. So yeah, uh, he, yeah, to, he made it. But yeah, I just he would be insane to turn down Robin, and yeah, it's a shame it ruined his career because yeah, he's very Chris O'Donnell, but. I I don't have a problem with him the way I do Ben Affleck and Matt Damon because he has a charisma to him that they don't have. So, you know. Yeah, it's just unfor- it's, it's unfortunate how much one role yeah. can 
can devastate your career even when it's not your fault. What uh, sucks, what you said about him being D'Artagnan in this movie is how I feel about Matt Damon as Mark Watney in The Martian. Yeah, like, I can see that. He's that, just like perfect for that character. That role is Matt Damon. You cannot cast anyone else for that role. And yeah, I fucking love him in that movie. And I'm, I don't even care for Matt Damon. So, and um, I, I love that. I love that movie. And that I love movie's that book. so good. We, we, we got to get that that movie on the show. Like I, I've I had it in my back pocket to, for far too long. I, I I have as well. I I just uh, I've been waiting ever since I found out they're gonna do Hail Mary. I've been keeping it in my back pocket for when we get closer to Hail Mary. Yeah. Um. But dude, Oliver Platt. It is criminal how <laughs> few of his stuff I have seen. I, He's so fucking good in this movie. I fucking love Oliver Platt and everything that I have seen him in. And he is my favorite character in this movie, Porthos the Pirate. Yeah, he's he's fucking awesome. Dude, he's, the amount of amazing one-liners he has in this movie is mental, dude. He's about 35% of the way to Jack Sparrow in this movie, 40% <laughs> yeah, really of the way. Is. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's so good. And he's so full of bullshit. I love him so much. <laughs> this sash was given to me by the Queen of America. <laughs> like, oh, what? Oh, don't be so stupid. Of course we intend to resist. Just give the, us a moment. The Tsarina of Mexico? Is that who gave him the axe? I Something so. like that. Like, what are you talking about, Porthos? <laughs> yeah, and he challenges anyone who challenges him. Oh my god, he's so good. And can we? I want to. I want to stop right here. Charlie Sheen, Kiefer Sutherland, Chris O'Donnell, Oliver Platt. Who knew the four of them would mesh and work together the way they do on screen? Yeah, it's kind of nuts. It is. There's a chemistry paper. between all four of these actors that they work so well together. Yeah, on paper, it sounds like a hodgepodge that should not work. Uh, but they totally. I, I wonder if this was an instance where like they had the actors become friends ahead of time, maybe just to make it a little bit more like genuine because they their friendships like feel so lived in. Yeah, uh, with the, what they talk about each other and the way that they they conversate and, and the way and they interact and the way they, they give sound each other shit and. They sound like old college buddies. Yeah, exactly. That, I was yeah. gonna say high school, but yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, it's, is what they it's sound really, like. It's really, really cool uh, how well they work together. And then Chris O'Donnell as the new guy in the group, but it still works. Like all of them still mesh. Like D'Artagnan's very much the new guy of the group, but the chemistry and charisma he has meshes very well with Charlie Sheen, Kiefer Sutherland, Oliver Platt. What a fucking team! Yeah. Who, who knew? Awesome. Uh, and some of them playing like, uh, you know, like you have some of them playing like a little bit counterintuitive to what they typically are cast as, like with Charlie Sheen. Like Charlie Sheen is the most reserved one of them. Yeah. Which if you were to like ask somebody like which which person was like, which character was Charlie Sheen playing if they hadn't seen the movie with hindsight, they would probably like put him with like Porthos, like that level of like goofiness, you know? Right. That, but No. You know, it's it's cool that they're playing the character like, like uh, I think Chris O'Donnell and Kiefer Sutherland are like perfectly picked for like what they're synonymously known for typically with their roles. But like with Oliver Platt being kind, you know, yes, he's funny, but he's also a badass in this. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's awesome. He's full of shit, but he can clearly live up to whatever he claims. Right. Like, it's yeah. insane. I, um, I love all, all the way he reacts. All of his like crazy fucking MacGyver <laughs> gadgets that he uses to kill people with. <laughs> God, I love my job. <laughs> oh, it's, yeah, it's so awesome. good. Um, dude, Tim Curry as Cardinal oh, Richlow. 
maybe one of my just favorite people of all time is Tim Curry, dude. And he's he is at some of his most Tim Curry-ness in this uh, as well. And I fucking but love every second enough, of it. oddly enough, still dialed back a little bit. Yeah, it's wonderful. But it's very, very good. And because we're no talking... can play a despicable but likable character the same way that Tim Curry can. <laughs> he is so evil, but you can't help but like him because he's Tim Curry. He's um, just so fucking charismatic. Like, yeah, the, the work he does in this movie, he can like like uh, convey so much information with just the way he looks at people. Like the way he looks at some of the women around him in the movie is so disgusting, and he conveys so much of his characters just grossness and the way that he gives people looks. His He's fucking tone amazing. of voice alone, a yeah. lot of the time, everything is like a double entendre as he's speaking because of the way that he is, is going about. His dialogue is it's perfect. He's got a character quirk that, like, on paper is just, like, him being kind of a cartoonish, like, mustache-twirling villain. But it also kind of works for his character because, like, he always has the last word, even if the person was just killed. He always yeah. has to have the last word. One of the first things we see happen is a guy that had been stealing from his carriage to feed his starving family. And... After the dude is stabbed and killed, he says one less mouth to feed. Like, yeah. it it works, like I said, as a cartoon mustache trolling villain, but it's also a character quirk because he does that throughout the whole movie, having the last word. He All cannot leave the room. For me. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, he always has the last word, and I love it because sometimes it's just him walking up to the camera, saying the line and walking off, but because he's Tim Curry, it fucking works. He's just... One of those character, like like those one of those characters where he's chewing the fuck out of the scenery, but you just let him go because yeah. he's just so fucking magnetic about it. Like it's something about Tim Curry. It's like all like, and he was he's one of those actors where it's like it didn't matter what the material was. Like he was bringing his fucking A game, you know? Yeah, exactly. It doesn't matter what you're in. Yeah, I, I fucking love Tim Curry. Is this the first time we've had Tim Curry on the podcast? It by the way, is. I think it. That's a fucking travesty because I adore that man. And we need to have a uh, clue on the show. I fucking oh, love clue. Clue's so clue? good. Clue is fucking. Genius. We should have done a pairing with that and uh, Knives Out is what we should have yeah, done. Yeah, we should have. I, I love Clue so much. It's so good. Um, I'm going to skip ahead to Michael Wincott because he was Rochefort, which is yeah. the guy that does all the dirty work for Cardinal Richlow. Yeah. And I mean, Richlow is terrifying as a character in one way, right? Uh, he's a he's a tyrant and everything. There's nothing that Rochefort won't do, though. And he does it just for the sake of enjoying what he does. So yeah, he's, he's just, terrifying in a completely different way because he's yeah, ruthless he's, and loves it. Yeah, he's just absolutely like, relentless and brutal in the way and that, like... Because uh, he's the Cardinals' <laughs> right-hand man, he can get away with anything he wants. Yeah, so, he's a really cool character. And if you don't and know I, Michael Wincott, you know his voice. Which is one of the like the most chilling voices in Hollywood. Uh it makes him great as a villain. Um yeah. I told you I told you before, right, that he has a really small uh bit role in The Count of Monte Cristo. Because he's oh, yeah, he's yeah, at yeah. the prison where he's imprisoned and tortured. He's one of the one of the wardens of the prison. That's the one with um uh Guy, Guy Pierce, Pierce, right? Yeah. I I fucking love that movie a, a lot. I that was that's one of the movies. I think I've talked about this before in the podcast. Uh, my grandma that will pick one movie 
like Brendan Fraser, the mummy. And uh, that was one of them. And she just has the movie playing for like two weekends back to back nonstop on a loop. Yeah. Uh, the Count of Monte Cristo was one of those. To oh, where when so I was at good. my grandma's house, I would just sit there and watch the Count of Monte Cristo like on a loop and not even fucking complain because that movie's awesome. That movie's so good. I saw that movie in theaters. Yeah. It was great. Yeah, it's really, it was not really with good. my French class, actually. It was the first time, I believe that was the first time I went to the Tulsa Cinemark, and I ended up working there. Crazy. Um, so you got them. Rebecca de Mornay is Melady, very important character, also a terrifying character in her own right. <laughs> She's actually one of my favorite performances in the movie, I think. I guess she's less terrifying and more chilling. Everything that she, she says and does is very chilling. Upon uh, rewatch... She, she makes Richlow my... back down. <laughs> so, yeah, like... she is really good in this movie. And I didn't pick up on just how good that she, uh, she how good she was the first time I watched the movie. It wasn't until the second time revisiting you it. You start but I think out not great. liking her, not trusting her, and then she's a tragic character by the end of it. Yeah, she... She reminds me almost like a George R. R. Martin character. Pretty uh, much. Pretty much. Like the the yeah, like the the depth they have to her more negative qualities in juxtaposition with like, you know, her redemption a little bit at the end to where she, you know, she tells them the, the assassination the assassination plot and stuff at the end, you know? Right. And uh I think she's a really good character. Like, uh and just a really good performance. She's a tragic character that really kind of can't help herself. But in that moment, and then her re- moment of redemption, like you're talking about, is when she basically proves that she was actually in love with him. Uh, because she, that's the whole reason she's doing it. Which, which uh, Martin character she most reminds me of is Jamie Lannister. And how, like... I can see that. They're even down, blonde. It's where, it's like, deep down, they're a good person. But they're they're trying to, like persuade themselves that they're not you know they're they're trying to put on this face that they are this evil person to kind of like blend in with the evil around them and when they're really not at their core uh and i i just i think she has a lot of depth to her uh and she doesn't have very many scenes and i I think rebecca de mornay does but every time i totally did not realize did you realize she is the mom in jessica jones i did not recognize that yeah you remember in the Jessica Jones show, uh, the mom, the adoptive mom of Jessica and the mom of Trish, Jessica's best friend. That is her. And I had no clue that was her. Yeah, I had no idea. Yeah. Uh, fans of Burn Notice will know Gabrielle Anwar. Anwar, I believe it's pronounced. She is Fiona. Um, what's the main guy's name? Uh, oh, God. And Burn Notice. I can't think of his name. It's got the show on Hulu. He's in Sicario. Um, uh, God, I'm God blinking. damn it. God I'll, damn I'll it, Jeff. You, you, you continue. I'll find it. I'll find it. Um, Fiona is often seen with a rocket launcher blowing shit up. Um, she's okay. So uh, Bruce Campbell is the uh, wisecracking guy. Um, Jeffrey Donovan. Jeffrey Donovan is like the debonair suave guy. And Fiona Gabrielle Anwar is basically the badass. Uh, that's that's the trio right in that show. So she is a very different role in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> she is the queen. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna skip ahead to Hugh O'Connor, who's King Louis. He's done uh, probably at this point more writing and directing than he's been doing acting. Uh, I don't think he made it big over here, but I think I think he's like in the UK or something. 
I uh, made Aurora laugh because as we were talking about him in the movie, I said he had a huge Pinocchio from Shrek energy, which he totally <laughs> does. <laughs> um, Jeff, one of the main points I wanted to talk about today is Paul McGann is Paul Gerard. McGann. <laughs> now, the he's tenure. pulling double duty as the, the right-hand man to Richelieu's right-hand man, Rochefort, right? I believe so, he, yes. Yeah, he's playing for whatever reason they have they loved Paul McGann so much they let him play two characters for no reason. It's kind of great. <laughs> but D'Artagnan! D'Artagnan! I want him yelling run at the end of the movie on a hotkey next time I play Dark Souls or Bloodborne. Love that. Just, Love that. <laughs> he should be just excruciating, but because it's fucking Paul McGann. He makes all those scenes like really charming at work. It, it should work. Yeah, he he knows his craft. <laughs> he knows how to make it work, and he is legitimately funny. Yeah, yeah, he's great. And the part, the times he is excruciating, he was intended to be. So yeah, yeah. D'Artagnan, don't lose your head. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is there any other uh, cast members you want to talk? I think that about wraps up. Yeah, that about, that the, about wraps it up. The real shit-tastic cast, am I right? This cast is so bad. It's amazing. Yeah, the movie it's, is so good. We probably should just end the show now. We have nothing else to talk uh, about. I know. Dude, What? I, as a kid, I was just like, oh, I know some of these people. As an adult looking at this movie, I'm like, my God. Do you know what this movie would cost to make now? <laughs> like, Yeah, it's it's kind of nuts. It's for, for 1993, this is pretty goddamn like. This is packed. one of those happy things, like just the stars aligned for this movie yeah. to come together. And while, you know, there are other good Three Musketeer movies, this movie is always my favorite characterization of these three characters. Their quirks, their, their good things, their bad things, their pros and cons about the characters. This is my favorite uh, style of these characters. Yeah, uh, you know, I think how serious Athos can be, Aramos uh, being restrained, believing in what he believes, but king and country is first. And he'll do what he has to do and ask forgiveness later. Uh, Porthos being full of shit and loving his job. And no one loves being Porthos more than Porthos. Yep. Yeah, it, it's great. Versus Michael Wincott and Tim Curry. I mean, do I need to say anything else about that? this movie? No, I think I mean, it kind of speaks for itself. Oh, my God. Um, Porthos. I think... One of my favorite fight scenes is on the ship stopping uh, Milady from delivering the uh, the treaty. Yeah, where yeah. they've stacked up all the dead men on That's the awesome. on the boat, and like just everything to do with Porthos. And then the one guy was just like, "Permission to come aboard," and he's like, "Permission granted." <laughs> <laughs> he's just such a he's, he's just such, such a, a colossal dick. asshole. I love it. So it's much. awesome. Permission granted. Oh my god! And then when, when he, he's uh, when he's digging for booze in the carriage chase, oh, yes, it's pretty fucking good. Um, I had two of those pulled up. It was when he first pops in champagne. We're in the middle of a chase, Porthos. You're right. Something red. Something red. <laughs> and then when he pops back up for a chase, the colonel recommends his excellent 24 Cabernet. <laughs> <laughs> and then Athos is like, here, you take the reins. And he's just sitting there drinking while yeah. D'Artagnan, the new guy, is trying to get them out of this mess. <laughs> yeah. They're just, I just, they just I love, don't give a shit. I, I love it. They have I, no I worries. How, yeah, there's, there's no worries in the world uh, because they just 
been through the ringer so many times that it, it it is just a day that ends in Y. They could not care less that they could die at any moment. I, I think that's one of my favorite one the one of the reasons why this is one of my favorite characterizations of them, because they seem like they have been musketeers forever and that they've seen so much like war and conflict and battle. They have so much time on the battlefield that like most of these fights are just a game to them. You yeah. know, like it's And it's only uh and it's only in certain moments where it kind of weighs on them, like uh, in the bar scene where D'Artagnan is talking about Athos, you know, like, why is he off by himself? And, you know, I think it's, uh, keep, I think it's, uh, oh, God, uh, Aramis that says, you know, he, he takes, takes his, his drinking, drinking very seriously. seriously. Yeah, because yeah. he just has so much baggage. Um, that is one of my favorite ways I think I've ever gotten a character's backstory. Him telling it in third person to the new guy, like he's talking about someone else. And yeah. you have, if this is your first time watching, you have the inkling that he's talking about himself because this seems very personal to him. And then it is confirmed when he runs into Milady, and, you know, he arrests her and then they have all their scenes together. And there's like a weird satisfying, but simultaneously unsatisfying by design closure to that story. Because she claimed to have killed him. He thought she was dead. And then it ends with her throwing herself off of a cliff. Like, yeah. you know, and that is closure. Like, he is honor bound enough that he wanted to, he condemned her to die the first time. That's when she disappeared. And that's what, like, that's the mistake he talks about making. Um, yeah, uh, he it's, had, it's really. That line that really, he has, like, a, the count realized then that his betrayal was greater than hers ever could have been or something. Yeah. And then her moment of redemption is, you know, not only did she actually love him, but she still does. And that's why she tells him of Cardinal Richelieu's plot. And then in a very empowering move, takes her own life instead of letting them take her head. Yeah. You know, but, to go on her own terms, you know, exactly. Yeah. And at the same time, uh, basically, Except her role in all of the terrible shit she had done. Yeah, you know? yeah, it's it's really good stuff. I, is that in the book at all? Like, is her character background and like the the count and countess stuff with him? Is that from the book or is that made up for the movie? I, have I was curious about that. Zero idea. I have no idea about that. I almost wonder if that's from the books because that is like a very very specific level of romantic tragedy. I feel like that's just probably really for the movie, but I don't know that. Uh, it's just one of those things where it makes me think of like there's a lot of that level like romantic tragedy to those to that era of you know novels yeah the Alexander Dumas era uh, just all over the place I, I, it could be either way I'm just curious because it's a, it's a great background and uh, and I love how this movie delivers exposition I think it's very very clever and it's it's never on the nose it always feels organic and a lot of the time when you have a movie like this where it is a Disney adaptation of the Three Musketeers Usually it is so shoehorned in when they're getting character background and exposition exposition across. It's painful. And this movie does a great job of making it always feel like it's uh, literally two cameras just locked on their faces and him just telling a story to the new kid. And you're on the edge of your seat listening to him tell the story because the way it's written is so good. But the way Kiefer Sutherland like delivers those lines, the way he tells that story and 
just the sound of his voice and the tone he's using. That scene is so good. And then it is such a dark moment. And then Porthos drunkenly crashes through their table to bring the levity yeah. to it, to bring it back. Like yeah. that is a well-crafted scene on all ends. And then the, Ooh, may I have this dance? And then he just punches him and laughs, <laughs> to himself as he takes another drink. Like, and Kiefer Sutherland could not have been like casted better because that gruffness and that, that like air of being much older than he actually was. He was 26 or 27 at this time. And the way he communicates that story, he sounds like someone who's middle-aged looking back with regret. Right. You know, he, there's so much like, like gravitas to that conversation and the way he and talks about it. He's so have, good. You have moments like that and all the moments with Milady, And then you have moments like, uh, only a fool will try to arrest us twice in one day. You're under arrest, a fool. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they. Uh, I think they balance the 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 humor with the sincerity of some of their like more tragic backgrounds really well. Uh, and also, uh, just surrounding this is like we talked about earlier the skepticism of the church. Yes, that was really ahead of its time. I like this. This movie has like a lot of depth to it, and I feel like it's one of those that people that are revisiting it over time, I think will like check it out and realize like there's a lot more to it than people realize. And I think a lot of it is like with hindsight. Yeah. You know, a lot of people probably wouldn't saw this and didn't take it seriously at all and just saw it as like a waste of time because of how goofy it was and that but there's I'm a lot of like nuance to it. There's like a surprising amount of nuance and like character to it. I'm surprised that this movie was under the Disney flag. Yeah, like, they had sure. so many other studios. Like Mir it was Miramax where they did all the rated R movies and stuff. Yeah, uh, Buena Vista is their distribution company. This is distributed by Buena Vista, which means distributed by Disney. But the first thing that pops up, I believe, on screen is Walt Disney presents, and it's not the yeah. Disney Castle or anything. It's just literally written out walt disney presents in like times new roman um and it just seems like they would have done a movie like this under a different studio i find it interesting that this would, and they're smack in the middle of like a lot of the golden age of their animated musicals right now we've already at yeah. this point had what a lion lion king and aladdin probably and yeah, nuts. the three musketeers live action under the same flag, the same banner, no pun intended, since this is all Kings and banners and flags, but, um, yeah, it's, it's crazy jumping ahead. There's a moment that is in a ton of movies. It's pretty much a trope at this point. It's one of my favorite ways I think I've ever seen it done in a movie. And that is the rallying cry when they're rallying all the other musketeers so like the movie opens with them burning their tunics and throwing down their swords um, as they've all basically been fired and they're all going to be put on the front lines in the war, oncoming war with England. And later in the movie, once they know what, what Colonel Richlow is doing, they've got enough evidence to go against him. They start riding around. They Here's the thing. This is all planned right because they know where to go they're going around different villages different settlements firing a crossbow that has a note punched through it that says all for one and one for all and it there's just this montage of people opening up wine casts and there's a bunch of swords and tunics in there and pulling out floorboards and pulling out tunics and swords like 
They had one that they burned and threw down, but none of the musketeers quit. These three kept wearing the tunics and were out in the open. None of the musketeers quit. All of them are still musketeers. They're just not doing it in the open. Yeah. And that montage, that rallying cry, there's something about the way that is that is shot and there's no big speech. No one's standing on top of something, giving a big speech, rallying everybody. There's no anything. It's just set to the score of the movie, them riding by firing a crossbow and then cutting to people pulling out swords. And uh, one of them opens up floorboard and just like, here's a sword. Here's a sword. Here's a yeah, sword. He's got like, like, he's got like a jaw. He's got, it's like John Wick underneath the floorboards. Uh, yeah. You got to get his gear out. You know? Yeah. Basically there's, yeah. there's something about the rallying cry in this movie. I've, it's done so simply, I guess. They don't dwell on it, but it, the implications it has are huge because it's not like there's a handful of musketeers that show up when they rally. like, And they knew exactly where to go to find everybody. Yep. You know, So like everyone knew, everyone had a plan for the day the musketeers disappeared or the, the day that the king's life would be in danger. And once these three have figured it out, what's going on uh everybody comes to back them up it's so great when, when they all reveal awesome. themselves in the crowd like a bunch of yeah. the crowd runs away and a bunch of them don't and then all of them step forward and just reveal their tunics it's yeah. so good it's a, it's a real like fuck yeah moment you know and you can't help but get into it. i'm also glad that you mentioned the score because i wanted to give credit to michael Kamen, who is the composer for this movie because i think the score in this movie is great uh this this score most reminds me of james horner it has yes. like that very, very kind of lighthearted adventure kind of tone to it. Did you just say like... did you say Michael Kamen? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I was gonna say the score is basically all for love, which is the song for this movie, the big song for this movie. And he wrote he's one of the writing credits on that song as well. Yeah, it's just like dude, like the score is just like it's so per like the way that it's paced throughout the action sequences is great. I think it's like really moving when it's supposed to be. Uh, I, I think it's just a great score. And also, have you ever looked at the IMDb page for Michael Kamen? No. This is going to like blow your mind. Okay. Give me a second to scroll to the bottom of this fucking list. Okay. Highlander, Lethal Weapon, Adventures in Babysitting, Die Hard, uh, Roadhouse, Lethal Weapon 2, Die Roadhouse. Hard 2. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. I like that movie. No the one Last else does. Boy Scout, Lethal Weapon 3, Last Action Hero, My Three God. Musketeers, Die Hard with the Vengeance, Mr. Holland's Opus, uh, Event Horizon, Lethal Weapon 4, What Dreams May Come, oh The Iron God. Giant. Oh my God, how does no one know this guy? Frequency, X-Men, Band of Brothers, and he helped write the X-Men animated theme song. Yes. One of like the most iconic themes of the 90s. Like, this dude's fucking amazing. And like, I had never really been familiar with him. Uh, he yeah, sadly passed nuts. away in 2003. Oh. Otherwise, I think he'd, he'd still be fucking making awesome shit today. Ten like, years after this movie. That was a fucking run of awesomeness. Like, just crazy good. Um, That list of movies you rattled off, some of them are hated. Some of them are beloved. All of them were major players at box office. Yeah. Every single one of them were a big deal. Even if some of them are kind of like memeish or a joke now, they were a big deal. That is an insane yeah. career. Yeah. Over the, over the course of like 15 years, they, all those movies. Jesus. In, insane body of work. Like so consistent too. Cause you know, those movies, like they might, like you said, they, they might not be all great, but like, 
typically even if a movie is bad it's not like the, the composing is bad you know it's the writing and directing and like the potential like you know, like acting of it that can be bad i you never know, understood time, like, i never understood the hate solid. for robin hood prince of thieves i always liked that movie I, I don't think I've ever actually seen all of it. I think I've only seen bits and pieces of it. I haven't seen it in a number of years now, but like, I think I have it on DVD. I might have it on VHS, but I think I even have it on DVD, which means I had to have bought it again later, sometime after it came out. Um, no, I always, I always enjoyed that movie. It's one of the few like Costner movies I like. Costner has to be used just right because Co- he Costner has very exactly little personality. Like we Costner is exactly like that chris o'donnell type person we were talking about where he is always that same type of character yeah like he is just kevin costner everybody really hates that movie and um the last boy scout everybody kind of makes fun of i like that movie too i thought everyone was kind of like chill with the last boy scout i don't know i don't know but yeah i know last action hero everyone hates (laughs) (laughs) i do not like that movie it's no one's fault. It. It's the story itself. I don't care for Every, I think it's well done. I think it's well acted. I just don't necessarily care for the story. Yeah. It's uh, it's yeah. one of those that they literally jump out of the movie screen and come into the real world. And I'm like, I'm done. <laughs> I don't <laughs> need, I don't need run. breaking the fourth wall. Literally. Like you don't want your Deadpool meta comedy <laughs> in your, in your uh, action movie. Yeah, pretty much. So yeah. I think I've kind of covered everything I wanted to talk about, uh, but this this was like such an iconic part of your childhood. I just want to give you the floor. Like, is there any aspects of the movie that you wanted to touch on before we kind of close out the episode? I think not enough people have seen this movie. I think it's really underrated for I agree. its fight scenes, its choreography. Um, it's it's an action adventure in the purest sense, right? It's it's got the same. It's not the same level of tone, but it's worked out the same way balanced out the same way as like indiana jones movies are or um the princess bride the, the princess, princess bride, bride shares a lot of yeah. similar aspects with this that as had far to have as... been their blueprint for this because that came out first right yes the princess bride was in like the mid to late 80s that's what i was thinking so yeah. um shortly after that we get this movie so that can't be a coincidence. No. I am still convinced if you watch this movie and watch the way it's written, a lot of the way it's filmed, a lot of the way it's acted, a lot of stuff with Porthos, that you don't get Pirates of the Caribbean, at least not the version we know without this movie. Yeah. Um, it was like the prototype because it was also Disney. Yeah. I feel like this is, yeah. I feel like this is Demon Souls to Dark Souls, right? <laughs> yeah. Like this is this the is three the first run. walked so that the Pirates of the Caribbean could run exactly, and that's yeah. also the way I feel incidentally about the Rocketeer and Iron Man. I g- agreed. Yeah, Iron Man took a lot, especially when he's building the suit and like you know he turns on the boots to ten percent thrust and crashes. Like there's an exact scene like that in Ro- the Rocketeer. I gotta watch Iron Man again. Iron- the first Iron Man is just such a perfect fucking movie. Okay, do God. this. Do this. If you need to span it out over a weekend or whatever, I encourage everyone to like on a Saturday watch The Rocketeer and then go watch Iron Man on like Sunday. That's a solid fucking weekend. Man. I can get down with that. Tell me that you get that movie without The Rocketeer. You know, do the same thing with this one, Three Musketeers, and then oh my God, not the first Pirates of the Caribbean movie. What a travesty! Oh, I have to watch an excellent fucking movie before Johnny Depp totally lost his shit. 
<laughs> but Jeffrey well, Rush as before, a villain? Before, before we knew that Johnny Depp had lost his shit, I feel like there might have always been a little bit of craziness in that, dude. <laughs> I feel like there's a lot of Rochefort, Michael Koch Rochefort, in um, Barbosa. Barbosa? Yeah, I could see, I could see That's that. his name, he's right? Like, Jeffrey he's Rush? Like a bl- he's like a blend between Richelieu and Rochefort. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, also, I think <laughs> one of my favorite... Um, last lines from a villain ever is Michael Wincott in this. <laughs> One thing is for certain, you are no musketeer. Immediately stabbed in chest. I may have been mistaken. And then just falls backwards and dies. Like that's that's something I say as I'm falling off a cliff in Dark Souls. Like that's just fucking perfection. Oh, it's so good. So it's so good. And, and that line only works if Michael Wincott delivers it with that voice and the way he characterizes yeah. Rochefort. Man, um, yeah. Every, I, everyone in this movie is just fucking awesome. Like they all are. It's so good. They're so like it's it like it's one of those things where at the very very core, at the baseline, the movie is like charming and pure to where I don't understand how it gets like such a low Rotten Tomatoes score. Because like to me, this is like this is one of those like seventy five percent or like eighty percent movies where yes, it's not it's not perfect. It's not like escalating the fucking very definition of cinema like some of these critics want it to be but like what could it have done differently to to make it better you know it's one of those things like what what's what's the course correction because it's everything that it sought out to be and i just i don't understand the kind of like negative reaction people had to it and i also encourage people that if they did like this and they might be like ron and are kind of hesitant to revisit it because so much stuff in the 90s when you revisit it is garbage. I would this even add one to that and say if you're hand waving it, but you enjoy the first pirates, it's about the same tone. I mean, like I said, I yeah. think it's the blueprint. Um, yeah, go check it out. It's good. It's I, on Disney uh, Plus. Check it out. I was I was laughing to myself as you were um, as you're talking there. poetic as I tend to do. <laughs> yeah, because I. I was just remembering Porthos, like, wow, Wogley, as he deals with the jailer <laughs> underground. As he deals with the fucking zombie mountain. And then <laughs> later, where the hell have you been? Dealing with something ugly. <laughs> like, he's such yeah. a dick. He's such a after, dick. After he saves D'Artagnan, and D'Artagnan's still dangling from the top of the castle from a flag. Come, D'Artagnan, what's saving the king? And then, like, runs off. <laughs> and, like, no one goes to help him. Nothing. Like, he he takes out the guy, but he just leaves him literally hanging. Yeah. And, he'll figure it out. Yeah. And come, D'Artagnan, what's saving the king? He's, like, so happy <laughs> to be doing what he's doing. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. Yeah, it's it's, it's awesome. Um, By the way, the sniper in this movie that is fucking sniping people with a like I don't know I don't remember what the musket rifles are called but you know what I'm talking about you fire it then you got to jam the 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 wad in you got to jam the ball in you got to jam other stuff in it and you got to light the the striker and it yeah. takes like 10 minutes between shots to fire anything um yeah the Barrett 50 cal used to be real weird those uh <laughs> those guns are legendary for being inaccurate. They're so bad. The those guns are where we figured out rifling, right? To put a spin on the ball, because yeah. the ball is going to spin either way. And what makes it erratic and unpredictable and makes your shots inconsistent is it would roll out of the barrel a different way every time. And the ball was not aerodynamic. That's why bullets are shaped the way they are, 
Whereas this was literally just a ball. Just a fucking ball. Just and a mini cannonball. That you know, guy was, it was. That guy getting headshots all the time from that distance with that rifle. Even Richlow was just like, well, good shot or whatever it is he says when he leans forward into the frame. Yeah. Uh, like, like, they, got fucking, they got dead shot in the 1700s France, man. Like, right. Insane. Yeah, like, it just, like, as... As a kid, I was just like, oh, look, a guy that's good with a gun. Watching that again as, a guy, uh, as an adult, knowing what kind of weapon he's using, I was like, Jesus. Yeah, the, with the regular muskets, they could be 20 feet away from each other, and both miss. aiming correctly and both miss several times in a row because of how shitty the technology was. There's no reason why in dueling, you step forward every time everybody lives. Like, yeah, because and it's only like 10 paces because that might as well be a mile in musket terms. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And the reason is not that people were a bad shot. They were inconsistent because the bullet did something different every time. It's not like you can correct by going down and to the left or something. It's not your sights that are off. The it's damn bullet luck. is doing whatever it fucking wants to do. <laughs> it just ends up being a fucking it's a gamble. It's just a roll of the dice. You know, it's just on where the fucking musket lands. The <laughs> shot when D'Artagnan interrupts him clearly would have hit the king the way he hit that painting yeah like clearly and it's just like jesus this guy's amazing yeah dude's crazy i bet he was expensive and i bet I, he got paid up front sadly for richelieu i uh I, I like how richelieu like saw what he could do and he was like pay him double yeah <laughs> whatever you're paying he was like, him double it yeah because he just he, he valued the man's fucking talents with a 1700s musket sniper see <laughs> hollywood even cool. richlow is paying people what they're worth get on yeah it. come on man come on uh wow we got political there for a second all yeah. right that means it's time <laughs> to go um yeah i was just closing it out i just this movie man it's a staple it's of my good. childhood and it remains and honestly i get rated pg but there's a lot of pg stuff that should be pg-13 I, I think I'm going to show this to my kids soon, probably. Like, there's, yeah, nothing, there's nothing in it that... There's nothing in this that's worse than what's in Endgame, you know? Like, it's... Exactly. Yeah, it's like... that. Like the I think the most graphic and most adult that it gets is, like, where it shows, like, some blood in the mouth of the mountain zombie <laughs> uh, as he gets medieval torture device to... Wait, he snaps back <laughs> to consciousness and screams and port those screams and then cuts the rope. <laughs> Um, That's awesome. One of my favorite lines, real quick, also from Porthos. All the bullshit he's been telling the whole movie. And then all he does is drop down, and the two guys are like, Porthos the pirate! Ah! And run to throw themselves overboard. And he's, I told you I'm famous. Like, yeah, he, like why he wouldn't you believe me? He, he, was, he was bullshitting, but he does have a reputation. <laughs> he actually is famous. He wasn't lying. Yeah. <laughs> he was just... Uh, <laughs> Adding a little bit of a white lie on how famous. And the guy's a fucking walking arsenal, like you mentioned earlier, too. It's great. Yeah. It's awesome. And yeah, just, this here, movie's really hold good. this, will you? And then Kiefer Sutherland is just low-key in the background using two swords, killing two guys at once while he's pulling out a, a fucking mini crossbow, like a handheld crossbow. He's got the bolo earlier. Yep. Hell yeah. Oh, man. Anyways, for those of my favorite character, if you can't tell. Yeah, it's it's a toss up for me between uh, which one is Kiefer? Is that Athos who is Kiefer Sutherland? Yes, he is Athos. I'm I'm such a fucking nerd for Kiefer Sutherland, and I love his character so much. Uh, you can't uh, go wrong. Yeah, I, I think my favorite might be him, but like Porthos is just like so close uh, that they're they're kind of a toss up. I I love them both for very different reasons because like Athos, he just has so much like 
Athos is one of those characters I'm always like drawn to. He's like the secondary character in an anime, you know, where yeah. they have like the better character, such, aka the, the secondary character. Like, uh, who's is it? Wolfwood, who's in Trigun? Yes. Who's like like that type of character where it's like they're not in it a whole lot, like, but they're just so fucking like magnetic as a character. You love them they're every so time they're on interesting. screen. You love them every time they're on screen. They have like a lot of depth to them, typically that the protagonist doesn't have. The because uh, uh, like typically like the protagonist in a story, the reason protagonist syndrome is a thing, and it's like because like the protagonist has to like have a story and carry the plot simultaneously, while the side character only has to operate within their own story they don't they don't have like a device to them usually so they're they're allowed to be more interesting because they have more time that's why like the fucking 50th side character like the 50th most important side character in game of thrones is interesting as fuck you know right because <laughs> they're just there there's just being a guy you know yeah it's um i just i love this movie it it yeah. it just it feels lived in too like you can tell there's it a does. history to everything and like um the king even though he's like an idiot is also not stupid at the same time i like that yeah that's that's a cool like delineation to that type of character because usually they're just clueless yeah and he, he's an they're... he's an idiot but he's not stupid oh we didn't yeah. even talk about richlow in the queen's chamber yeah i i lose oh. earlier like, he's just fucking he's disgusting in this movie sometimes uh it, it you're just like jesus christ like <laughs> they push and it's a dude it's a 90s disney movie yeah and and they're pushing the boundaries of like just how fucking gross he is with how just fucking disgusting he is. It's it's crazy. Porthos Por- of the uh, the Raiders moment, the guy with the two swords. He's, yeah, <laughs> and he just opens the the fucking yeah. trap door. I feel like that Indiana Jones trope <laughs> of that type of thing and that type of reaction of just like just casually killing the guy after he's had this like it never gets old to me for some reason like, i know i should be tired of it but i just never get tired of it it's a good trope and it, it makes it's you think back to raiders every time yeah. but yeah. yeah i just his voice yeah <laughs> <and it> just <laughs> it's the rope uh, yep <laughs> by the way before they reveal he's a pirate like if you listen to some of the stories he tells and if he, he he talks about sailing. He talks about other certain things, other fights he's been in. When they're shooting cannonballs at him, he's like, oh, I hate cannonballs. Like, he has much experience with cannonballs. <laughs> and then later it's revealed, yeah. Porthos the pirate. And then it's like, it all clicks. <laughs> it, it all, clicks, all yeah. fucking clicks. Exactly. And he acts like a pirate, right? Telling all his tall tales and stuff and wanting to dance, drinking. He's always sitting at a table full of people laughing at his stories. Like he's literally characterized as a pirate the whole movie, but they don't spell it out until that one fight. Yep. It's so good. It's so watching that, knowing it, and you just if you watch for it, it couldn't be more clear that's exactly what he is. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah really good. Check it out. Um Good movie is I, good. Go watch. Good movie. Good movie. You is already good. have go it. Watch. Go watch. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. All right. If we ever uh, do t shirts, ha- I feel like like good movie good go watch it has to be like good one of the movie, first good. that we do right we've done that like what the last four episodes in a row now pretty much <laughs> pretty much good movie is good go watch or bad movie is bad don't watch that's the, another, that's on yeah the that's, the, that's the back idea. of the shirt just says you already have it <laughs> like no context <laughs> just you already have it you already have it. <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh yes yeah, so if you would like to follow the show more we are on twitter 
uh, check us out at SPR Filmcast, where you can follow us for show at updates. SPR Filmcast. At SPR Filmcast, Ron. That's where I go uh, for all my show updates. Yeah. It's crazy. It's so crazy. <laughs> they didn't bury the lead. It's about SPR Filmcast. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you found us on YouTube, be sure to like and subscribe. I really appreciate the uh, new listeners we've uh, been able to uh, bring in over on YouTube over the last yes, few weeks. Yes, the YouTube really has been hopping. It. We appreciate yeah. it. There you go. I think part of it is just how off the fucking wall the friends and family selections are. Yeah. Where it, it becomes more uh, like niche when you're covering the thing from another world. And, well, the thing like, from another Barbie world is and... one of our best videos we've ever put on there. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. It's um, man. It's Out kinda, of all the shit that we've done and all the shit we could have done, the thing from another world just kind of blew up in the course of like a week. Yeah, but but it makes sense, you know, because there's no, there's no competition because it's just a very off the wall selection, but fun to talk about. You know, that's the type of stuff that uh, it's always uh, interesting. Like we we had a lot of interesting conversations about it because it's just it's it's so far out of your wheelhouse. Going back to movie of that era, that uh, you know, it's 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 an interesting examination of like what makes movies now and what makes well, movies. From it was also an interesting and weird mix of outdated but still weirdly relevant. Yeah. Like, because a lot of the filming techniques or shit we're doing today that probably had to have been goddamn mind blowing back then. Yeah, abs- absolutely. Um, if you uh, would like to leave a like rating or review on whichever platform you found us on, that always helps us out too. Uh, and share us out to your friends. Uh, if you have any movies you see in our back catalog, we uh, typically will hopefully give the spoiler warning in advance of when we start spoiling the movie so you can follow along if it's something you haven't seen but uh, as always we recommend you check it out first uh, so you can uh you know be there for when ron and i spoil the thing ahead of putting in the warning <laughs> which is clearly never happened in the show not ever no never never <laughs> never oh uh, yeah uh i don't think i uh have anything left with the plug so ron would you like to know what we are covering next time yes please all right i am picking something that i'm I haven't seen. I'm pretty sure you haven't seen because I wanted to give us an excuse to finally fucking watch it. Nick Cage makes his return to Screenplay Rewind as we will be covering the unbearable weight of massive talent. Oh, I have not seen this movie. I have been wanting to watch this movie for Nicholas Nicholas Cage playing a fictional Nicholas Cage. Yeah, you don't need to know any more. Like already, good movie, good. Go watch. <laughs> yeah, go, that's all already. I need, that's I, uh, all I need to hear. What's interesting is I have a couple of picks up in the air for what I wanted to do for my next one, and one of them is a Nick Cage movie, and I might do a double feature. Oh shit! Why not? I feel. Like, I feel. I, I also have one over the next year. There's another Nick Cage movie that I would like to have on the show. <laughs> Nick Cage turning out to be a real powerhouse for screenplay rewatch. I I heard as bad as that Renfield movie is that Nicolas Cage is the best part of that movie as Dracula. Yeah, I still want to see it. I'm not gonna lie. Like I I, I, I will probably wait until it's on like HBO Max. I was gonna say I can wait, but because yeah, I wasn't like I, I wasn't that interested to begin with. But um, I've seen some clips because he was on Colbert. Um, talk, it was his first time to be ever be on Colbert, by the way, which is really which he had never been nuts. on it before. He had never been on there before. That's mental. And he brought some. He brought a really cool um, clip. It looked like he was. It was a. Um, what do you call him? Like, um, that's what um, 
Falcon does you know, when we first meet him in Winter Soldier and what Captain America keeps doing after the blip. Uh, oh, uh, the focus the group, group is popping into my head, but it's not a focus group. Uh, group it's therapy. A group therapy. Yes. Yeah. Um, he's like in one of those type situations as Dracula, and he like starts levitating around and stuff. But he's like a member of the group somehow, mistakenly or something. It se- it seemed really funny. That's the thing with like Nick Cage. It's like even if the movie he's in isn't great, he is. I feel like his performance is always memorable and worth watching when he's good he's good and when he's bad he's great yeah you just he's such a fucking wild card that you're always in for something you know you just don't know what you're in for uh and i think uh yeah i i've i've i really know next to nothing about the unbearable weight of massive talent outside of its meta that's literally all i know and i want to keep it that way because i like going into movies that I know very, very little about. It makes it more fun for me because usually yeah. you know fucking everything ahead of time nowadays. All I know about uh, it is exactly what I said. I've never seen a trailer. I've never read anything about yeah, it. Me neither. Uh, and I'm excited because I've been wanting to check it out. Which is it's, how it's, I went into um, Wally's Wonderland or whatever it's called. Yeah, yeah. I knew it was Five Nights at Freddy's and that's it. Which yep. I feel like we're going to have to have the Five Nights at Freddy's movie on the oh. show after co- covering Wally's Wonderland. Yeah, uh, I I forgot. We so we've had uh, unbearable weight of massive talent. We had gone in sixty seconds. Uh, we had uh, Willy's Wonderland. Uh, have we had any other? Nick Cage? I feel like we might, I might be missing something because it's. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's it. Yeah, but we're gonna have more. So yeah, just check it out. Yeah, so are you confirmed for the Nick Cage double feature then? I think that's what I'm going to do. And All right. Yeah, so by the way, be sure to check out the end of the next episode to figure out which Nick Cage movie Ron will select. I'm not seeing a hard date, which at this point, being in the summer, probably not a good sign for this year. But apparently that Five Nights at Freddy's movie is supposed to be 2023. Interesting. Uh, it says expected October 27th, but that's not a hard date. So gotcha. I feel like... If it's supposed to be October, I mean, that's four months from now. If we don't have a hard date by now, that may not be happening. Oh, and just before I forget, uh, Unbearable Weight of Massive Talent uh, is available for the like, you know, like three or four dollar rental option on all your all the usual suspects like your Apple and your Amazon and everything. But it is available for streaming through a Stars subscription. So if you sign up for like one of the bullshit fucking like one week trials, you can check it out. If you need to go that route. How are Just people already downvoting Five Nights at Freddy's on Mdaba when it's not even out? You haven't uh, seen welcome this to movie. the internet, my friend. You haven't seen this movie. This isn't Steam. What are you doing? Ron, hypothetical movie bad. <laughs> Don't go watch. <laughs> uh, I'm going to, when we get off here, I'm going to send you the link to it. These posters are fucking cool. Everyone I'm should down. go check out these Five Nights posters. These are really cool. Yeah. Well, we, we got to get the fuck out of here. No, nah, it's fine. Uh, We've been. You want you want to talk about something else for like two yeah, hours? I'm down. Absolutely. Yeah, let's go. What else? Uh, I feel I feel like we talked. How, how about are you, Jeff? We don't talk enough about you. I'm doing. I'm doing great. I'm doing great. <laughs> the world is definitely not always on fire or anything. It's fine. Everything is. <laughs> All right. Well, I have a submersible to catch. I'm supposed to be going to see the Titanic soon, so we Man. probably should get out of here. <laughs> Wait, you got 250k? Not Here's anymore. Spread. Oh, it's, not, it's non-refundable. <laughs> Missed it by. It's that bring much. your own controller too. It's really weird. Oh shit! 
I mean, you're, you're at least going to have a first-party controller, right? You're not going to have a third-party controller? <laughs> at least it wasn't Pelican. Can I say that? Can I say was at it, least was it, it wasn't Pelican? Was it Mad Cats? Was that the right? <laughs> 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 uh, and on that note, have a good night, everybody. <laughs>